Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. again glad you could join us this morning those of you that are here in the in the church uh, sanctuary we welcome you I'm not sure if there's anybody in the overflow uh, our fellowship hall has turned into an overflow uh, where you can uh, also sit there if you want to enjoy that so if you're there in the back we welcome you as well um, so glad to be here this morning uh, my daughter and her uh, husband and the kids our grandkids uh, spent quite a few days with us last week and they left on Wednesday and uh, it was sure a nice visit to be with family. Um, and uh, anyways, this coming Wednesday night, we have our Bible study at 6.15 p.m. It's virtual, it's online. Um, I'll be sending a link out to those of you who are in our fellowship. And uh, um, we're in Ephesians, in the book of Ephesians. So we'll be looking in, at that. I, th I believe it's chapter five. I don't remember, I'll have to, it's, it's, it'll be in the note. <laughs> anyways, hey, um, Second Corinthians, chapter 5 is where we're at this morning and the first uh, four chapters have been dealing with God's comfort uh, to his saints in different ways and this morning this uh, we'll be looking at God's comfort for the dying saint and what I mean by comfort uh, is the biblical definition for the word comfort in the biblical sense this means uh, providing help providing encouragement, and it's all for the purpose of strengthening. And so we, I pray this morning that everybody here uh, and those of you watching will be encouraged this morning and comforted um, with this passage of Scripture. Um, before we get into actually chapter 5, I want to back up and just read through a little bit a portion of chapter 4. It kind of helps set the context for what Paul is going to say here in chapter 5. So I'm going to pick it up at verse 7 of chapter 4. It says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So, that, so then, death is working in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore we speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but a for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Well, we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, what a beautiful morning that we have to worship you. Lord, to look at your word. 
uh, to be in fellowship with one another, to encourage one another. And Lord, I pray that your word would encourage us this morning. We thank you for your word. Lord, we pray for those in our fellowship that are, are uh, injured or sick. Lord, we remember Justin this morning and Gerald. Lord, we pray for them. Lord, that you would mend their bodies, uh, revive them, strengthen them, we pray. Uh, heal them, we pray, Lord God. And for all those that uh, are just maybe going through a difficult time, Lord, there's so much unrest in our world around us. There's so much, um, I don't even like using the word, but there's so much angst in our environment, in our culture right now. Lord, to be able to look to your word and to gain comfort from your word and strength from it. I thank you for your word. And this morning, Lord, I pray you'd fill me with your spirit as I share your word with your people. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So Paul is talking about his ministry in chapter 4. Uh, you know, going through all the difficult things. Actually, when we get to chapter uh, 15, I believe it is, or chapter 11, um, he's going to go in and he's going to actually uh, basically give a list of all the things that he's struggled with in ministry, the, the hardships that he's faced. Um, he talks about it in verse 8 of chapter 4. We're hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in, in despair. Excuse me. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. You know, so it, Paul is really just describing the kind of ministry that he had and the, and the difficulties that he faced in ministry. And yet, down in verse 17, he says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding an eternal weight of glory. So how could Paul say this? The difficulties that he's going through, how could he say that it is a light affliction? Well, I think it's in the light of eternity is why. And the first reason why, and we'll be looking at that in chapter 5, is because God has given us, uh, there's a resurrected body that God has uh, ready for you and I. We'll look at that. Look at verse uh, 1 of chapter 5. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. I love the way Paul uses current events in his life, things that he's familiar with. Uh, he talks about the, the Greek games, uh, the forerunner of the Olympics. Uh, he talks about things that people in his culture would recognize. They'd know and they'd understand what he's talking about. And here Paul, he's a tent maker by trade and a world traveler, you know, a, a missionary traveling all over the world. And so here he uses a, a, just an earthly example of a tent to bring across a very strong spiritual truth. Paul being a tent maker and a traveler, he knew the difference between a tent and a house. He knew the difference between uh, temporary lodging and a permanent dwelling place. And so what a great way to illustrate really the life of the believer uh, for, and, and, and death for the believer in this passage of scripture. And so he says, if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed. Uh, that word destroyed, the Greek word, it's an interesting word. It means to loose or to unloose what was before bound or fastened. 
It speaks of travelers, and of course, Paul being a traveler, it'd be a perfect word for him to use. A traveler who's going on a journey, they stop, they put up for the night somewhere, and they've been, maybe they've had a, a donkey or a horse with them that's been carrying all their, all their belongings, uh, you know, their, 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 traveling, whatever they're carrying, and they would unstrap the, the straps off of the beast of burden, basically. They'd unloosen the straps for the night. Uh, more correctly, it could also be an illustration of a traveler who, uh, in those days, you know, they, don't, they didn't wear cutoffs, and, and uh, thank God they didn't wear tight fitting jeans, but you know, they were flowing garments basically, but when they were traveling, they would gird up their loins, so to speak. They would, they would bind everything up so that they could travel, so their clothes wouldn't interfere with their walking. And so when they get to their camping or their, their resting place for the night, they would untie it and let it loose. And so that's the picture of that Greek word. In your and my vernacular, or maybe to give you an exp uh, just something that, because you know, I don't unloosen my garments when I get home, when I'm, you know, going to sleep or whatever. But I do camp. I don't know how many of you camp. And so a tent, boy, I understand uh, about a tent. And, you know, in our vernacular, we would say striking a tent or striking camp, excuse me. Um, and basically, in your mind right away, you have a picture, right? You're taking down the poles. You're, you're untying the guide wires or whatever it is that's holding the tent down, pulling out the stakes, and the tent starts collapsing. That's the Greek word. That's the picture. If our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God. Now, you'll recall in John chapter 14, Jesus told his disciples that I am preparing a place for you. We talk about the mansion that Jesus uh, is preparing for, for his church. That's not what Paul is talking about here. The context of this passage of scripture that Paul is referring to is not a mansion, but the body, a resurrected, glorified body. Well, what do we know about this resurrected, glorified body? Well, based on the scriptures here that we're looking at in first, or 2 Corinthians 5, we know that it is made by God. It's not made by human hands. Uh, in other words, it's going to be perfectly good. Perfectly good. Think about the human body right now. It is so amazing, you know, our bodies and how God has created the human body. Even in its fallen state, the human body is still amazing. Medicine, modern medicine is still not even getting, you know, understanding it completely. We're, they're still discovering new things about God's creation, the human body. When you think about how amazing the human body is, you think back to creation. Genesis chapter 131, then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and morning were the sixth day. Everything that God created was good. And so the, you look at the things around us and see how perfectly God has created things. And then think about heaven, how much greater that will be. So it's made by God, not by human hands. So it's going to be perfectly good. The next thing we understand from this passage of scripture is that it's eternal in the heavens. In other words, it's never going to weaken, it's never going to wear out, and it's never going to die. And what's also interesting about this verse, it says we have a building from God. We have, it's in the Greek, it's present indicative, indicative excuse me. In other words, what it means is we possess the title to it right now by faith. 
So not only does God comfort the dying saint by having a resurrected, glorified body ready for us, but as we move on into this chapter, we see that God is making us ready for our resurrected, glorified body. Look at verse 2. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. If indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Here Paul is using a mixed metaphor. He's talking about uh, physical body, or he's talking about bodies. He describes our heavenly glorified resurrected body as a building. And yet now he's talking about wearing, putting on our new building. So it's a mixed metaphor here. But Paul here in this verse says that we groan. Why? Because our physical bodies are wearing out. Have you ever gone shopping like to a sporting goods store and you look at tents? You know, you, you look at the tents in the, in the stores and man, they are clean. They're crisp. Uh, they, are, they have no tears. Uh, they don't leak. I mean, they just look fine, right? They have no broken or missing poles. Um, and then we look at our tents. You know, we have maybe, uh, you know, bent poles or whatever. Maybe there's some burnt holes from like, you know, we've been too close to a fire and some embers, you know, kind of burn these little holes and there's wear spots. Maybe our, maybe there's some stuck on marshmallow, you know, from a schmore the night before or whatever, or the year before or the season before or five seasons before. Uh, you know, so we look at that and we compare it to a new tent. New tents look so nice. I was at a, 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 a camping goods store uh, I won't name it here in town. Uh, and anyways, we were looking, my grandson and I, while he was here, we were looking at tents. And I walked down and I saw this row of tents. And, and of course, we have a tent that's not that terribly old. But what attracted me to this new tent that looked crisp and clean and everything is that it said, up in five minutes. And, you know, again, we have a nice tent. I, I like it. It's, it works great. It's actually in pretty good shape. But it's got like 200 poles. And they're all color-coded. And, uh, you know, I was thinking it takes like a half hour to figure out where, which poles go where. And then you finally get it up and it's like, nice, this tent's up in five minutes. You know, and I think about that as far as the physical body. When you're young, man, you can do everything quick and fast. You have all that energy. And as you grow older, you know, it takes longer to do the things that uh, you used to be able to do in a short amount of time. We groan because that old tent, our old tent, man, it's got a bent pole. Maybe it's even got a missing pole. Maybe it's sagging in the corners. And we had some thin spots, even a tear here and there, and maybe it even has started to leak once in a while. You know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, we're on Facebook Live, obviously. If you're watching, uh, you know that we're on Facebook. And so I don't want to say anything negative about Facebook, but uh, when we first, or when I first got onto Facebook, man, I was jazzed by it. And the reason why is I was able to connect with old friends from years ago. That's, to me, that's the best thing about Facebook. And uh, so, you know, I'm like, oh, I wonder, I wonder what this so-and-so is, an old friend from high school. And so I look them up, and sure enough, they're on Facebook, and we become friends. And I look at their pictures, and I go, man, they are old looking. <laughs> they don't look like all like what I remember. Of course, I don't think about myself, but, you know, they've grown old. Last week... One of the things we, you know, with this 
being, you know, kind of seemed like just about everything's closed and things are starting to open up in our state. And uh, our, our grandkids were here from, from Washington State. Man, I really wanted to take them somewhere to do something fun. And most of, the, most of the places were closed. And so at one point I thought, I wonder if the Elba Fire Tower is open. And so we went there, and sure enough, it was open. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the Elba Fire Tower. It was constructed by the Civilian Conservation Corps in 1936. It's a 110-foot tall structure, and it sits on top of a bluff uh, overlooking the town of Elba. So if you know where Whitewater State Park is, it's just north of Whitewater State Park, this little, little community called Elba. Up on the bluff, you can see this, this, uh, this lookout tower. It's 110 feet high. Well, to get to it, there's a parking lot at the bottom of the bluff. And you have to climb stairs up the bluff to get to the tower. And uh, it's 637 steps. So, you know, stepping, 637 steps. Once you get there, you're at the base of the tower. There's another 135 steps to climb to get to the top of the tower. And so we, we did that trek uh, last week, early last week. And, uh, um, you know, when you get to the, actually, if you go there, the, the actual observation deck is closed. So you, you can climb up the ladder and get all the way to the top, but you can't actually get up onto the observation deck. But you can see quite a bit from those top steps. Well, so we decided to go there. And uh, this is probably my third, maybe my fourth time at this water, at this uh, lookout tower. And uh, this time, you know, the grandkids and the younger people, man, they were up, and they were probably waiting a half hour before I got up there. And uh, man, I felt like I was gonna die on the way up there. And uh, fortunately, my daughter had her little granddaughter with her, or her daughter with her. And you know, she was taking lots of breaks. And she's like, oh, you can go around us. I'm like, no, 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 that's fine. I'll just stick here with you guys. You know, it's, I'm fine. <laughs> you know? So it gave me an excuse to be the last one up, pretty much. Um, but it was a reminder, because I was thinking back. You know, The last time I went, I don't remember it being that agonizing. It was probably about eight, maybe 10 years ago. But man, things change. And uh, so the older you and I get, the closer we get to our earthly body wearing out. And in, these things are a reminder to us. Every time we look in the mirror, God in his wisdom and in his grace, he gently reminds us that our earthly tent is wearing out. You see, because he's preparing us for eternal life. You know, our perspective on life changes when there's more to see. You know, when we start seeing more in the rearview mirror than we see out in the windshield in front of us, it kind of changes your perspective. So we groan. Not only do we groan because our physical bodies are wearing out, but we, re we groan because our physical bodies limit us. I like what F.B. Meyer said. Speaking about our physical body, it says it cages us, anchors us down to earth, hampers us with its needs, obstructs our vision, and becomes the medium of temptation. And if you're like me, it's like, you know, it's like, Lord, when can I just get out of my flesh and have that glorified, resurrected body? I never have to deal with, you know, anger or, uh, you know, temptations or just my failings. I just, I can't wait to be rid of that sinful flesh. And so we're groaning because our physical bodies limit us. And so Paul says here, we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. 
If indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. When Paul is talking about or referring to not being found naked, not wanting to be unclothed, what he is talking about is uh, referring to once a person dies, are they a disembodied spirit? And the answer is not, is no, I should say. When we die, when we leave this tent, we'll not become some ethereal disembodied soul. We will receive our resurrected body. And so Paul says, you know, we're not looking at a state, you know, I look at my flesh and I, I get so sick of myself sometimes and so disgusted and so, man, I failed again and I, I did this again over and over and over and I get so, I get so sick of it. And I, it's not like I'm thinking, well, you know, as soon as I'm out of this body, as soon as I'm a floating around on a cloud in a, as an ethereal you know, fume, a soul, man, that's going to be like nirvana or something like that. No, no, it's not. My goal isn't to be disembodied. My goal is to be clothed with my res resurrection body. And that's what Paul is referring to, being swallowed up by our resurrection body. That kind of uh, reminds us back to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 53. Paul says this, For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. So that's what we're looking forward to. That's what Paul is describing. The third way that God comforts the dying saint is that God has giving us, given us a down payment of what lies ahead. Look at verse 5. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. That word guarantee, it, it means earnest money or, or a pledge. And this is the definition. It's something which stands for part of the price and paid beforehand to confirm the transaction. So no matter what trial you and I face, whatever, whatever trial Paul faced in, in his ministry and in his life, he would call it a light affliction. Why? Because God's given us the down payment of the Holy Spirit within us. And because we have that down payment, we can be sure that he's going to complete the transaction when you and I leave our earthly tent. And so being comforted by these things, by these truths, understanding these things, Paul says, you know, knowing all this, it should have an impact on how we live our lives as believers now. And look at verse 6. So, so as a result of all this that we understand, we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. For we are confident, yes, well, ra yes, well pleased rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. The first thing Paul says is, we're always confident. In other words, we exercise courage in whatever we face. Man, I tell you, right now what's going on, we need courage. We need confidence in the fact that, you know, this place is not our home. Praise God it's not our home. It's getting trashed. <laughs> you know, I'm looking forward to our eternal place, our resting. You know, I'm looking forward to heaven. I'm looking forward to my resurrection body. But knowing that we are at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. Now, as a born-again believer, 
I know that Jesus is dwelling in my heart. I know that he's inside me. I know that, that he's, he's there. But in reality, if I think if, it, you know, if, we, if we're just totally literal, I don't physically see the Lord. I'm sure maybe some people think they do, but we don't physically see the Lord. I don't physically hear an audible voice. Sometimes the Spirit speaks to me, and it's almost as if it's an audible voice. But, but in reality, in, in that sense, in this physical body, in that sense, we're absent from the Lord. And so, but, but Paul says here, but we walk by faith and not by sight. You know, we don't shrink back or fear or freak out by what we see with our physical eyes. And again, you can look at what's going on around here, and it's very unsettling to see the things that are going on in our nation right now. We don't look with our physical eyes. We look with the eyes of faith. That's what we need to be doing. Notice that Paul doesn't say that we, we run by faith, not by sight. I'm thankful for that. You know, he doesn't say we, we don't run by faith or, or we don't sprint by faith. He also doesn't say we don't, we don't work by faith or we don't strive by faith. He simply says we just simply walk by faith. I love that. What that, ref, what that means is, you know, we just live out our daily lives moment by moment just by faith. In other words, trusting God's word, reading God's word, believing it, and then applying it and just living our daily lives out. The decisions that we make on a daily basis, Lord, is this something that you would want me to do? We just, just, the, just the simple walking out our faith daily. I love that. We walk by faith, not by sight. And then it says, we are confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. This is such a, 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 a foundational thing, such an important thing for you and I as believers to understand. It's so important for the saint who's facing death, who's maybe they've got a terminal illness, or maybe they are advanced in years, or things are just, they just sense that they're going to be home with the Lord soon. This is such a comfort. This is such a foundational truth to understand. It's also very comforting for the loved ones of a saint who's left behind after a, a, a mother or father, brother or sister, child that is a believer that's passed away. It's such a comfort to understand this truth that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Our loved ones, the ones that had a relationship with Jesus Christ, they are in the presence of the Lord right now. That is a, that is a comfort, a great comfort. And it's a great comfort for you and I as we are approaching that time in our own lives. Some people believe in soul sleep. You know, the soul is asleep until the resurrection. And, and uh, that's, Paul definitely destroys that, that uh, false teaching here. The believer in Jesus Christ is ushered from death into the presence of the living Savior where faith becomes sight. If that wasn't true, think about what Jesus said to the thief on the cross that repented of his sins and put his trust in the Lord while he was dying on the cross. In Luke 23, 43, Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. So that's such a comfort for those, for all of us. And so we're confident. We don't grow discouraged by what we are facing in our own lives or what we see around us in life. The second thing is we make it our aim to be pleasing to him. Why? 
because we know that we're going to give an account for everything we have done as believers in this earthly body. We are stewards of the life that God has given us. Look at verse 9. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. The judgment seat of Christ. Again, this would be another picture, another word that Paul would use that, that his readers in that Greek culture, in that Roman culture, they would understand what he is talking about. It's the bima seat. Uh, it's an step or an elevated platform on which a judge sat to render decisions. Well, who is judged? Well, I believe it's the believers in Jesus Christ. Now, there's another judgment that's called the great white throne judgment that's in Revelation 20, and this is not the same one. That judgment, the great white throne uh, judgment described in Revelation 20, that is the unbelieving dead that are resurrected to a judgment of damnation, and they're cast into the lake of fire. The Bema seat judgment, which is what Paul is referring to here, this is a judgment of rewards to believers. And look at verse 10. It's a rewards according to what one has done. So what have you, what have you done in your life as a Christian? What have you done? Uh, and then also whether it is good or bad. So what you've done and also the motive or the heart behind what you have done, whether it is good or bad. And Paul alludes to that in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 12 through 15. He says, Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as through fire." So the question, the, the, the motives, you know, do we, maybe we've served some, some ministry or some capacity. We've done something for the Lord in our lives. And that's great. We'll be rewarded according to that, but we're also going to be recorded according to the motive behind it. You know, did we do it grudgingly? Did we serve or give out of obligation? Was there a hidden motive behind what we did? In other words, you know, maybe we wanted some kind of recognition or maybe there, we just wanted to hear somebody praise us for what we did. Those things are going to be revealed at the uh, Bema Seat Judgment. The day will reveal it, Paul says. You know, <clears throat> so verse 11. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. We'll be looking more at verse 11 and, and, and further on in, in our next study here. But I want to kind of close with this thought here. You know, there are some ways that we can be pleasing to God that we can only do in this life. I mean, there's some things that can only be done in our physical bodies right now to please the Lord. There's coming a time when we will no longer have to do those things. Right now, we walk by faith and not by sight, Paul said. That is one of the ways that we can glorify God. Without faith, it's impossible to please, please him, the Bible says. And so 
We walk by faith. That's, the, that's what we do in our bodies today. When we get to heaven, when we die and we're face to face with our Lord and our Savior, we won't need faith because we will have the eyes to see eternal things as they are in heaven. In his presence, faith will no longer be needed. So, in the meantime, are we living by faith right now? Are we living out our life with spiritual vision or our, vi our earthly vision? So that's one of the things we can do right now. Another thing that we can only do in this body right now is enduring trials and exercising patience. You're not going to have any trials to endure in heaven. You're not going to need to exercise patience in heaven. But we do in earth here. Here we do in this life. And so what you are undergoing in this life right now, and, and I know people are going through some difficult things in their lives right now. This is an opportunity that you have to glorify the Lord that once your life is over, that, that opportunity is gone. Another thing that we can do in this life, exercising courage in the face of, of fear, you know, and, and unknown things. And, you know, there's a lot of fear being, uh, you know, there's a lot of fear out there right now in life. Well, we can exercise courage. We can trust the Lord. We don't have to be afraid. We can be confident. Um, and we, so we can do those things in our physical bodies now, in this life now. Once you get to heaven, those things, that opportunity is gone. And so you think about whatever you're going through, whatever, whatever is requiring patience, maybe something's requiring a step of faith, maybe you need courage. I just, tr I just want to encourage you to not give up or not to, to grow faint in doing that because this is your opportunity right now to glorify God through whatever you're going through. When you get to heaven, you won't need, those things will not be something that you can glorify God with because all those things will be gone and will be in, in, in uh, a new, will be in heaven, right? We won't have to deal with that anymore. There's probably many more things. I was just trying to think of a few anyways. But the last one, and that's what Paul is going to address in the rest of this chapter, is being an ambassador for Christ with a ministry of reconciliation. That's another thing that you can only do in this life. You, you can only uh, be a bold witness for Jesus Christ in this life, sharing the gospel with people, praying for people, uh, you know, giving your testimony to people. This is what you can do right now in your life. And it's our only opportunity to glorify Christ in this way. And so uh, we'll be, again, we'll be looking more into that uh, next week as we, we get into that. So this morning, I, I pray that you're encouraged um, with uh, just the thought that, you know, and I tell you, the older you get, the closer eternity or the more eternity becomes, you know, something on your mind and your heart. And, you, you know, it's God's gracious way of just reminding us, hey, uh, this life is, is temporary and uh, your bodies they're fading. But God has an eternal, resurrected, glorified body waiting for us in heaven. And so I hope you're encouraged by that this morning. We're going to go ahead and uh, spend just a few minutes having communion this morning. And uh, for those of you that are here in the fellowship, if you did not uh, receive a communion element when you came in, there's a, there's a tray in the back there. They're individually wrapped 
the, the wafers on the top and the, the juices underneath. So if you want to just go ahead and grab one um, and, and bring it to your seat, we won't pass them out or anything like that at this point. We're, that's one of the things we're trying to figure out, you know, what's the right way to do this, and this is the way we figured it was the best way to do it for our fellowship right now. So the older you get, every time you look in the mirror, it's God's gracious way of saying, hey, you, you know, this life is temporary, and eternity is, is coming soon, and uh, the Lord's return for his church is coming soon. Communion, you know, it's another gracious reminder of the fact of what Jesus Christ did because, you know, uh, having a resurrected, glorified body, you know, being in the presence of the Lord, none of that would be possible without Jesus Christ shedding his blood on the cross dying for our sins, dying in our place. We'll look at that later on in, in, the, in the end of chapter 5, that Jesus Christ took on our sin and died in our place for us so that we could enter into uh, eternity, enter into the presence of the Lord. It's only because of him. And so whenever we participate in communion, that's another reminder of what Jesus Christ did and, and what is awaiting waiting us. So the Bible talks about the marriage supper of the Lamb, where we'll get to be in fellowship with the Lord. I, I can't wait for that. <laughs> 